Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to episode two of Calvary Connection, doing this podcast with us uh, and you. Uh, glad to be with you as we jump into this book of Universal Christ by Richard Rohr. Uh, first of all, I want to give a thank you to everyone who was part of the conversation this past Wednesday as we discussed the first introduction and a couple other ideas uh, on Zoom. Uh, we are going to be continuing these Zoom conversations with anyone who would like to participate. Uh, so tomorrow night, I'm recording, we're recording this on Tuesday, uh, and tomorrow night, Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, we'll be having another one of those conversations that you can sign up for uh, on the church website. Uh, we'll be discussing this podcast where we're talking about chapters one and two. Uh, and of course, if you have any thoughts uh, on Richard Gore's book or the podcast or whatever, uh, you can email us at podcast at calvarybemidji.org with questions or anything else. And we actually have a bunch of those that will be included in the podcast today. So maybe if you email us, we'll include your thoughts in an upcoming podcast. Um, so let's jump into it, shall we? Sounds great. Okay. So, you know, we've, you know, we've read the first couple chapters of this book now. Um, Initial impressions. What are you thinking so far? How's Richard Rohr treating it? Yeah, I feel like I'm back in seminary reading something that stretches my mind. I feel like I read something and I have to go back and read it again to make sure I'm kind of absorbing it. And for me, uh, Pastor Jeremiah, I feel like what I've learned is um, I'm, I'm constantly going to be challenged mm. and, and grow in different ways of understanding who God is. Uh, Richard Rohr does that for me, and I've really learned that I'm going to take what I really feel like I can use in my daily ministry, and um, it's okay if I don't understand all of it, yeah. or if I don't use all of it, that I really have given myself permission to say I'm not sure if that jives with what I'm experiencing or what I understand, but to know also that there are people who understand God this way, and there's an opening to that, so that when I hear it or read it for the first time, I'm not like, oh, okay, I've never heard that before, so He's challenged me, um, and I, I've appreciated that. And again, as we've talked about, that's a that's a place I want to find myself in Lent, being reflective and giving Christ and Jesus uh, some of my prime attention. So he's definitely done that for me. How about you? How's it been for you? Yeah, well, I think that a lot of what, what you're saying rings true for me, too. I mean, and one of the things we really want to focus on with this is that we're not saying we have to agree 100% with Richard right. Rohr, right? right? This is a way of us being in conversation around some of these ideas to think more deeply about the concept of who Christ is, who we are yes. uh, as, as the body of Christ. Uh, and so like you, I mean, there are parts of it that I'm, I'm finding myself thinking, Oh my gosh, Richard Rohr, this is exactly right. This is what I've wanted to be hearing for my entire life. Yes. Amen. And then there are other parts of it where I'm like, man, Richard, you are not a detail-oriented person. <laughs> you factually are incorrect about this and that and the other thing. And, oh, gosh, it's frustrating to read when he's using these, these anecdotes of, like, science and he's using them wrong, and it's just, ah, oh, yeah. But I, I, I like that, that it, it's, it's not something that makes me feel a single way. Yeah. You know, it pulls me in a couple of different directions. And I think that's a good thing to be able to sit with uh, just as a human being, you know, to be able to sit in that dichotomy of of agreement and disagreement. Uh, and I think that really has roots in what it means to be church. You know, this idea of unity without uniformity, that we can be part of the body together, even when there are things that we disagree with and things we agree with at the same time. So, so to jump in with one of those things that kind yeah, of rattled a sure. lot of us is the separation of Jesus and Christ, or as many of you asked, is, is he suggesting there are four parts of the Trinity? Um, 
So what's your first impression? What's your impression yeah. on some of that? So this is something that actually was part of the conversation last Wednesday night on yes. Zoom. Uh, was asked, you know, when he, he's he's really defining Christ and Jesus as separating or separating them a bit. You know, the name of the chapter is Christ is not Jesus's last name. Uh, and he really dives into that in a way that is challenging and confusing in some ways. Um, we had a couple emails that were about that. Uh, Teresa wrote, uh, still having a hard time wrapping my mind around his separation of Jesus and Christ, but was glad for the opinions that were shared on the Zoom session. Uh, we talked more about that. Uh, and then Kurt writes in and says, uh, if Jesus and Christ are separate, what does this do to the Trinity? Is Jesus a subset of A of the Christ? Uh, how does Roar differentiate between Christ and the Holy Spirit? Uh, I think, you know, these are really, really good questions, yeah. especially with, with how Roar uses that word Christ, because it has a specific meaning and, and definition that he, he, he isn't really using it the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, my reading of it is, is I'm wondering if Roar isn't using Christ as a stand-in for what the Holy Spirit often is in the Trinity, that presence of God in and with and around us in all times and all places. Um, I, I think that that when he dives into that separation of Jesus from Nazareth and the eternal Christ, that makes me a little uncomfortable in some places uh, because it, it's not really what we consider orthodox understanding of, of the Trinity. Uh, but I also think that a lot of that has to do with just how we're using the word, how we're defining things, uh, and and maybe just how he uses that to understand who God is in that. You're right. And I think as Lutherans, we don't do a great job of understanding how the Holy Spirit does function in our life. Sure. We know it kind of on a, a um, thinking level, but not always an experiential level. And I think you're right. I mean, these blur a little bit for me, too. I always think about teaching confirmation, and many of you have gone through confirmation with me. I do a poll saying, is Christ Jesus' last name? And almost everyone says yes, because we say it that much together, Jesus Christ. And so we play on this, even in eighth grade, kind of for the first time understanding that Christ is a title, the anointed one, Messiah. And that is uh, what Christ means. And usually if there's a title, like for us, it's before a name. So we talk about this in confirmation, right? Dr. Smith. And here it's opposite in scripture where Jesus is the proper name, given birth name, and Christ is the title or Christ is the the um, the divinity part of, of who God is, has embodied Jesus to be in and for us. And so I think it's something to pay attention to, but I do really think that some of the divinity part we understand as Lutherans as the Holy Spirit and how that presents itself. And I think the one thing that stretches me in Christ not being Jesus's last name is that um, what has me pause is to not limit myself uh, or to understand that I'll never be Jesus. Well, I'm not created to be Jesus, but I am created to carry Christ with me. And so there is a part of my own being that is also divine, created in God's image. And sometimes when we just put Jesus up on the pedestal, which sometimes we're put on a pedestal too because of our title and name, that it, it's more encompassing than that, that, yeah. that the divinity does dwell beyond just embodied in Jesus. And God has also brought Jesus into our world for his very specific reason and purpose. Absolutely. That actually kind of ties in with something that Rohr talks about uh, a little bit later on page 27, uh, when he talks about that divinization that the Eastern yes. Orthodox use, the yes. idea of 
becoming godlike or becoming divine. Uh, and, and like you said, that's not about being absorbed into God and becoming God. It's more about the idea of the holy being present within us and within, within everything, right? I mean, this is really what, as Christians, we're trying to, to do is, is see God in everything. Uh, and, and that, I think, is kind of what, what Richard is, might be going for. I agree. And I think that what struck me um, and struck many of our readers, too, was this idea of Genesis being the first incarnation. Yeah, sure. Uh, never heard that before. Um, and yet when I was growing up, I felt like God's plan through Scripture was plan A, God was going to create, you know, plan B was Jesus. <laughs> and we still didn't get it. We killed him. And then C <laughs> was the Holy Spirit. And we have this whole book of the New Testament about how the church and the spirit works. And when I went to seminary, it was like, it's not plan ABC, it's the triple A plan. They were in it from the beginning. And again, to go back to that, I think the incarnation in Genesis, I really understood as the Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. breathing life into the human uh, to create us in God's image um, was Ruach, the breath of the Holy Spirit. And yet um, I have limited my understanding of Genesis with Christ being there. Sure. Um, You know, I've really left him to the New Testament because it's embodied in Jesus. And so it has helped me kind of reimagine God as three being in relationship from the beginning of time and revealing God's self in different ways throughout Scripture and throughout my life. The second incarnation being that coming when Jesus is born on Christmas. Um, And so, again, I'm just kind of still just letting that settle in (laughs) and seeing how it it, works. sits in my own life and my own experience and perhaps how I can reach other people with the good news of the divine being in and around all of us from the beginning of time. Yeah. Well, and you know, John chapter one leads right into that, yes. right? The word Christ was in the beginning, was God, was with God, yes. creating all things together. I mean, that really flows into that idea of this is the one plan, not just this didn't work. So I'll try something right. else, which will try something else. But this is what it was meant to be from the beginning, yeah. you know, God and everything. Which actually kind of leads us into the other second main point that really resonated with a lot of people uh, in chapter one, which is this idea of Christ being in everything, being in creation, uh, finding Christ everywhere. Um, a couple a couple emails that we got, uh, Don, Don Carlson writes, well, I haven't read far into Roar. I have a nagging question. It centers around the term Christ. Roar encourages us to see Christ in all humanity, all creation. Yet the term Christ, most specifically, means chosen or anointed one, right? right. Kind of what you were talking about, right. Pastor Janelle. Uh, it's closely related to the Hebrew Messiah. Is there not some sense that Christ conno- connotates there that is special, a unique purpose in that one particular person of Jesus? Uh, it is reasonable for us to see in our fellow Christians as also having special and unique purpose But is there a point that we water down the concept of Christ by seeing it everywhere, in every human, in every rock or tree or bush? I think that's a valid question. I agree. I agree. I mean, I love that Roar challenged us to think about um, God loves and God reveals through becoming them. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And, And in humans, it is. And I think God has a specific reason for human life, purposefulness opposed to animals or rocks or rivers. And yet to limit that we are, um, we're created for a different reason, for a different purpose. And us for a special purpose, I would definitely agree with that. Um, and again, what I hear and what Don I hear asking too is, um, 
how do we have an awareness that God did create all and is in all? I feel like with my kids, I created, I had a hand in creating both of them. I love them the same as much as I can. I can see their reflection of me in there. And God must do that through trees. Mm-hmm. And yet uniquely and especially through us, yeah. as scripture tells us. So again, it's this balancing of, of being, um, it's not necessarily fair across the board. God uses trees in a different way than God uses us. Um, but it all is a reflection of God's handiwork. Yeah, for sure. Well, and this, I tell you, it really did resonate with a lot of people. We got a number of emails uh, talking about how this idea specifically about seeing God everywhere really, really struck a chord with people. Uh, we got an email from Amanda saying that this uh, this notion, let's see, what she say here? Um, uh, for the first time in a long time, I've been able to really reflect on my faith journey and see how God has been guiding me and loving me through it all because he placed himself within me from the very beginning. Yes. That there was that presence here and that, that, that really spoke to Amanda. Uh, or Lisa writes about how, you know, seeing God in all of creation uh, is, 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 is so much of what she's devoted her life around, you know, yes. that, that, uh, and writes that uh, Friar Roar helps me to see a framework for the way I think of God the world around me and Jesus, this notion of, of being united together. Uh, Ron writes about how he had this vision of God in a time of great crisis when he was assistant bishop over in North Dakota, uh, when they were having a drought and a whole bunch of combination of terrible things. And he was going everywhere all over the synod trying to help these different congregations. And he has this vision, this continuing vision over a number of days where Christ is present within that distressed creation and how meaningful that was for him and how Roar now with this image is re-evoking that idea for him. Uh, This this idea of God being present everywhere, even if we don't agree with it, man, it hits home with a lot of people. And I do think, to Ron's point, um, we often see the absence of God Mm, or the absence of divine when something bad is happening. Um, or we blame God for a lot of things instead of seeing the divinity even in, well, death and resurrection, if we say it that way, in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of suffering. God has us going through all of those elements with God, yeah. too. And it's not a lack of God. It's a, it's a different revelation of who God is. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely made me think about things differently, too. Uh, on page 16, Roar talks about, the verse Colossians 3, chapter, or chapter 3, verse 11, famous, famous yes. verse, right? Where he says, In the renewal there is no longer Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Yeah. Uh, and I've always understood that as being specific to people, right? That Christ is in all people and through all people. And this is, it's certainly challenging me to think of that as a, a wider net. Right, that it's not just people, but maybe, maybe could I consider this as all of creation? And and like, like you said, I've I've long thought of God being present in the trees and the rocks. God is present in creation, but I never thought of it as the same the same essence. Yeah, you know. And so that's that's a that's a a thought provoking thing for me too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean to think about our daily ministry. You know, and um, we do home communion visits to the tree stands and mm-hmm. uh, hunting season. We joke about that. I don't know if I've ever done that before, but um, but that's where people worship, or they're worshiping on their fishing boats. And and again, we've always said, well, you know, it lacks community, and that's true. And yet they do. I think, like Lisa's point, 
when people devote their lives to sitting in God's creation and really taking it in for its beauty, for the death and resurrection it experiences, freezing to go into living water, um, for leaves to drop off and um, plants to sprout up, there is a lot of what our lives reflect in in the the earth around us, and I think there's something to pay attention to there. Yeah. Well, and you also, to bring up a, another subject that we we're going to get into, uh, you mentioned communion, you yeah. know, and, and this idea of sacramental presence right. uh, is something that is part of Orthodox Christianity. This idea of God being present in a special certain way within everyday stuff. It's not people, but like bread and wine and water and baptism. And Roar talks a little bit, little bit about sacramental theology uh, on yeah. page 30. Um, and I think that's that helped me a little bit in yeah. understanding what this looks like, right? That, okay, I get that. I've, we've, we've used that idea of God's presence in stuff that's not human uh, to talk about sacramental theology, right? And so I can kind of use that to help make my leap in understanding where Roar is going with some of this stuff. Yep. And I think, too, that's part of the, the mystery oh, for yeah. me of the divinity and part of the mystery of how God finds a way to reach us where we are in common, ordinary things like water, bread, and juice. Yeah. Um, that And God wants to find a way um, to be inside of us, uh, not just around us. And again, it's not, um, it, it's not, it is manifested in, in things that we eat or touch or mm-hmm. taste or smell. Um, and so I think that does, it does in some ways make sense that our church has practiced these things for centuries as a way to connect yeah. a specific way. We, we say it's, it's takes believing hearts, God's command and a physical element to have a kiss of God, to have a, that a piece of God enter in and transform us. Um, and so I, I do think I like you, uh, when I think about that in that way, we've been practicing that for a long time. Sure, yeah. Um, and, and it is a helpful Thing for me uh, to participate in it does renew my faith and so to think that 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 is how god could be working in other ways uh challenges me but it, it stretches me too yeah for sure i think that also leads into some of the stuff we wanted to talk about in chapter two great um where this idea of of seeing christ in everything yeah. and and around us that that notion that that um Roar gets to of he writes a mature christian sees Christ in everything and everyone else, uh, and how he writes about how our work as Christians, in a lot of respects, has to do with looking to Jesus until we can look at one another through Christ's eyes, right? right? And man, when I read that, it was just like, yes, that is exactly what I've been trying to say for years, right? This yeah. idea that that as followers of Jesus, that's what we're meant to do. That's what we're meant to, to, to try to accomplish is to see one another through those eyes. Yeah. Uh, and the more we practice it, hopefully the easier it gets, even if we're never going to be great at it. It's uh, it's easier when we, when we practice it. A great example I have in my ministry as I was meeting um, downtown uh, with a parishioner of coffee and we were talking and they um, were just broken, made a major mistake, sinful mistake. And, um, we we were sharing about that and at one point in the conversation as i was just listening taking in the story kind of just holding it with them mm-hmm. 
they stopped through their tears and said, um, you are staring at me. Like, what is the stare about? And I said, I am finding the Christ in this situation. And I don't know where that came from. Often these pastoral moments just kind of come through you. And yeah, I think it was true and it was healing that even though they had made a bad choice, Christ still dwelled in there. And yeah. as it was my privilege and my kind of role as their pastor to assure them that Christ still dwelled in the midst of this crisis. And I think in some ways when I read what Roar said, it put language to some of what I've experienced with people in my role, vocational role of just trying to see where Christ is. And once we could start seeing that, like you said, the healing started to happen, that what they did never didn't separate them, but it needed to be restored and healed and named. And we were at the opening stages of this. And I felt like in that point in my ministry, I lived out what Roar kind of put on paper here. Yeah. That um, we are, we are um, trying to see Christ in and through all of what life. And that is kind of the lens as Christians we try to live into. It's hard sometimes it yeah. is. Well, and I think there's a truth to, to that we have to name that the church has not always been great at that, you know? And, and Roar does talk about that. True. That yeah. he writes, you know, the world no longer trusts Christians who love Jesus, in quotes, but do not seem to love anything else. Too often, worshiping Jesus becomes a pious substitute for actually following what he taught and he did ask us several times to follow him and never once to worship him. Now, those those lines specifically are lines that really spoke to a lot of folks, too. Uh, Teresa wrote back and said she was curious to hear what people thought about that. Betty Chris wrote in and said, spot on, amen. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, that's, that's a, I think, a truth that needs to be spoken that, that we have all, often failed in that regard. Uh, and that a big part of our task as the body of Christ is to, to try to live up to that idea of following Jesus in loving our God. It's hard work. Yeah. It's hard work. And I think in some ways it's easier to worship. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Than well, to follow. I, I think that's why we fall into it, yeah. is because that is an easy out in some ways, you know? And yet I can see for people who don't know the story or weren't raised in the faith or the traditions, why it seems appalling, maybe, to come into a worship service and to be caught up in um, uh, worshiping a person, sure. a Jesus, when, 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 because we know the backstory of why, without that why, we probably do sound like we're worshiping a person yeah. instead of really trying to embody. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, something else that I really liked that kind of ties into that too, the main point in chapter two, was this idea of our identity, yeah. right? The identity that we find. Uh, Roar talks about how our identity as a child of God is our main, and he says, yeah. really our only true identity, yeah. uh, which that's really thought-provoking and really challenging, I think. And it, it's, it is truly countercultural yes. in a lot of ways. Yes. Uh, we Because our, na our natural impulse, or at least I think, is to see each other through many different lenses, right? I, Jeremiah, I'm a Christian. And I'm an American, and I'm a pastor, and I'm a man, and I'm a husband, and a, a father. I'm, you know, a, a book reader, all these different things right. that I are all together make up my identity. What Rora is saying is that so many of those things are the temporary stuff, the trappings right. that sometimes distract from what is our true identity, 
being a child of God. Right. And that it's in that identity that we're able to connect with one another. Once we see that identity in each other, that helps us to, again, see through the eyes of Christ. And to get back to our Lenten theme, that is not uniformity, mm, yeah. but unity. Yeah. What do we share? We share that we were created by the same God who loves us just the same, who forgives us when we ask for it just the same. I mean, that common denominator is so powerful and so foundational, but I think you're right. I choose to see you in so many different ways, and my challenge is to first see you as a Christian brother, and then to see you as a dad yeah. and a book reader and all the other gifts that you bring to the kingdom. And I think our world right now, if I don't believe in one part of your way of lifestyle, I kind of throw out all of it. Yeah. And, and again, I think it's calling us back to saying, can we be Republican, Democrat, uh, wear a mask, not wear a mask, whatever the issue is that we don't agree on, and say, we're going to agree to disagree, but I first see you as my brother. That's a, a preview of your, of your Sunday sermon, I think, <laughs> <laughs> which is a good one, though. I mean, that idea of, because, because those things are the first things we see, right? right? We see those definitions, those lines, those things that separate us from one another before we see anything else. And the challenge that Roar is pointing us to, and that I think Jesus pointed us to, too, absolutely, right. is to see each other first and primarily and exclusively, in a lot of cases, as a child of God. And think about what our world would be like oh my gosh. if we all went around just oh. practicing that with one another. It's a huge challenge for me, uh, and so I'm not going to lie about that, but I think even just trying to wear that for Lent yeah. to say, um, brother Christ, uh, sister in Christ first, and then get to know about their abilities and disabilities or yeah. whatever it is. Um, again, it's so countercultural because what draws us together is things that we'd like to do sure. or places we'd like to be together, but... But I think that's the gift of church today is to say we're going to put all of that on the shelf and we're going to come together in our primary identity. Yeah. And we need to make room for the stranger who might not know that identity to say, no, this place is for you too. Yeah. And that brings a tear to my eye. <laughs> that's some powerful stuff. Yeah, that's for powerful sure. Stuff. I think the other thing that really caught my attention was uh, how he plays on this idea of light. Yeah, light right? uh, of the world applies to Christ so often. You are the light of the world applies to each of us. And apparently light is less something you see directly and more something by which you see all things through. I thought that was powerful yeah. for me. Um, and again, thinking about who I am, who you are, how I see you all as a gift, a gift of life and a gift of light. And so we have faith in Christ. So we have the faith of Christ being in and through and around all, yeah. all of us was powerful. That idea of, of the light of the world, right? Yeah. And I really liked how he drew attention to that notion of Jesus is called the light of the world, but he also calls us, the disciples, the light of the world, right? Right. I had never thought about that. And I think that's a really important piece when we're talking in the context of Roar here, when he's saying that the light of the world idea means that we're shining to allow people to see one another yes. in a certain light or a certain way, man, that's important. That idea of empowering that vision in others yes. is really what uh, a follower of Christ is called to do. Right. 
And again, another great Lenten discipline. Oh. Even if we try to wear that for 40 days, what that would do to transform us and yeah. start seeing and practicing just different patterns of, of behavior. That's what those disciplines are for, right? Yeah, oh, right. I love it. That's right. great. Yeah. yeah, I think he ends for me on page 36, just a reminder that we are not our gender, our nationality, our, our ethnicity, our skin color, or our social class. These are all temporary costumes, Rohr says. The substantial self is always hidden with Christ in God. You are a child of God. God's beloved, one of God's favorite children, you will always be, even when you don't believe it. That is powerful, powerful things. And that's something I'm going to try to carry with me also during this Lenten journey. I don't think we can top that. So maybe that's what we'll have to end with for tonight. <laughs> what a great thought. Yeah. Well, we certainly didn't hit everything that there is in chapters one and two. If you have other things that you'd like to discuss, please join us. Uh, we'll be on the Zoom call tomorrow night on Wednesday, Ash Wednesday evening, uh, where we can dive into some of the things we talked about now and other things that we didn't touch on. Uh, or if you'd like to uh, respond via email, again, shoot us an email at podcast at calvarybemidgie.org. We can maybe look at some of those in upcoming uh, upcoming podcasts. So, well, thank you, Thanks Pastor Janelle. Today. Absolutely. See you next week. See you next time, guys.